I have a great truth of the world that I want to share with you this morning. And it's this. Rice Krispies is the best cereal ever. It certainly is the only cereal here this morning. And I want to convince you not only is it crunchy, don't rain on my parade, not only does it make some of the best treats ever, okay, okay, I, I'm, I'm starting to bring you around, not only does it pop in your mouth a little bit when you eat it, but it also comes built in with the three best friends you'll ever have in your life, snap, crackle, and pop. And those are just four reasons why Rice Krispies is the best cereal ever. Who here has another cereal or food, maybe that's a little bit unusual, that you love? That you would call the best food ever? Ta okay. So, so convince me, what makes it the best? I don't know why I chose to talk about food a little bit right now. I didn't have any breakfast this morning, so it's... Tacos a lengua. Tongue tacos, for those of you that... Uh, Anyone else? Okay, you and Carla and you vote sushi. Convince me. Why is it the best food ever? Tobiko sauce? Okay. Okay, pops in your mouth. Okay, ginger and wasabi. Okay. Rice, okay. So it's got a... So there's a lot of different reasons to... State that something is your favorite. I'm not trying to convince, I don't want to like make your argument for you. <laughs> I'm still holding on to Rice Krispies as the best, as the best food ever. I feel like I could live to a hundred. I feel like I'm just eating so clean. Now I know Karen is the opposite. No fish for you. All right. Now, of course, these are just a few funny examples to illustrate that if something matters to us, we get really passionate about it, and we, we sometimes we want to convince people, give them a bunch of reasons about why something is important to us. When you believe in something, it's, it's almost part of our human nature to want to share that with other people to try to explain why it matters so much and why it should matter so much to the people that you are with. And this is what the Apostle Paul actually does here in Romans 15. So last Sunday we, we hit Romans 14. We focused on that chapter. And this week we're kind of continuing that theme into Romans 15. So if you have a Bible or you have one on your phone, you can pull up Romans 15. 
It's right after the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we know that Apostle Paul, his specific job that God charged him with, gave him to do, was to preach the word of God specifically to whom? The Gentiles, all of the people, the non-Jewish people that were alive in that day. And by the time Paul writes this letter to the house church at Rome, he has done just about all of that. He's virtually completed all of the areas that he sensed God was sending him into. And he just had a few other places that he was going to go. In fact, one of the places that he ends up going to after this is Spain. And kind of really fulfilling that call to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul so believes in God's mission to reach out to everyone through Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, that he makes a similar case in this chapter that he did in chapter 14, which we looked at last week. Now last week, our primary point about the case that Paul was making is this, that we should learn to welcome and accept one another. For Paul, this is a primary aim that we need to seek to live out in the church. That amid our differences, we would have a spirit of charity or of love towards one another. That we learn to welcome and accept. We also said, no, acceptance doesn't mean that you necessarily agree. You know, you are not all going to agree with the thing that I was trying to convince you of at the very beginning. Just like not everyone will agree that, I'll just say tongue tacos or sushi. I hope that's not offensive. That's for, that's for our non-Spanish speaking people, all right? The whole point is just as Christ has accepted you, we learn to welcome and accept other people. And when we do this, this is from verse 7, God receives glory. This is important that we learn to do this. We don't always want to welcome and accept other people, but we do this primarily because Christ has accepted us first, as we are. Now you know how and who you are, and the fact that Christ accepts you as you are is a miracle. It's a miracle whenever we look in the mirror and say, wow, Christ accepts me as I am. And because he does, he calls on us to do likewise. By learning to come together, we end up actually following God's greatest command, which is to love God and to love one another as ourselves. In many ways, you could sum up the work of the gospel in that. To make his point, Paul, and you know Paul likes to use words. He lays out a case for living this way. So let me read chapter 15, just the first 13 verses for us this morning. Before I read, I just remembered. So how many reasons did I give you that I like rice, that Rice Krispies are the best for? So how many reasons do you think 
Paul, how many examples do you think Paul gives? Well, he could give 13. He gives at least four. All right. So let's, uh, let's read this. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Now such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Some of you might need to star that verse for the week to come. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then, all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, whenever Paul uses the word therefore, he pretty much is telling you what one of his big points is. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Now he lays out his case, all of his different examples. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, number four, in Isaiah. Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come. Who's that? Jesus. And he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. And then the closing verse for this section. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can make a point with just one point, one example. Paul usually doesn't like to do that because he knows that sometimes we hear things differently, which is why he appeals to them in so many different ways to basically make his one point. One of the things that he does at the beginning is he starts out by, it's almost like he primes the pump a little bit. He's trying to motivate us at the very beginning of this to, how, to see how we are to live and love as people who follow Christ. And the first thing that he mentions is quite simply that we have to learn to help one another. That we seek to live out our faith each day by being focused on other people. 
Now, you know this as well as I do. This is very difficult in our world, which is me-focused. Have it my way. Assert my rights. But the very scope of the scriptures point us in the opposite direction. To be other-focused. To help one another. To do what is right and to build one another up in the Lord. We all like to look in the mirror. It's a lot harder to look out at the people around us. In many ways, as we look outwards, this is how God would almost define strength. That strength is not about getting my own way or asserting my own power and will but by leaning on God's strength. When we realize that we're dependent, our weakness is actually our strength when we rely on the Lord, when we lean on him for what we need. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you come to realize that you aren't very strong at all on your own and that we actually need the Lord We need the Lord to be that rock that we lean against in our moments where we are just unsure of things. We need our sisters and brothers in Christ as well to help us along the way. None of us can do it alone. No matter what the world says, we all need people to walk with us. When we recognize our shared weakness together, that's when the Lord begins to make us stronger and stronger. Strengthening us spiritually inside and out to actually live out faith in this world. In this part, Paul actually bluntly reinforces his point. He reminds us very clearly, it's not all about you. It's not all about us in the very beginning. We don't seek to please ourselves. And the reason we don't do that is because Our model, Christ, didn't do that either. And this is a hard truth for us to swallow sometimes. Because at some level, we inherently like to make things about us. We all suffer from a self-inflicted wound called self-interest. There's almost nothing we can do about it. We're all going to suffer from that from time to time. That's why the practice of helping one another to do what is right and to work to build one another up in the Lord is so important. It teaches that it's not merely about me, but we. Thankfully, we have this model in Jesus Christ. Paul says in uh, verse 3, for even Christ didn't leave to please himself. He was always outward focused and that's the model that we seek to emulate in our life as well. How Jesus lived and interacted with people. How he took an interest in them and asked them questions. And as we learn to do this more and more, it actually helps us be more welcoming and accepting of other people in our life. Especially for those with whom we have disagreements with. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes further. He says it's not just about learning to help one another, that we also have to rely on the word of God. 
That you have this outward focus towards other people, but you also have this source of inner strength that can be built up within you as you learn to rely on the word of God. Not only do the scriptures teach us how to live, but it actually, as Romans 15 says, it works to give us hope and build our encouragement up. Anyone need more hope and encouragement for this world and in your life? In the moments we need the most help, those times when we're at our weakest, those are the times when we should be reminded most to rely on the word. That's verse 4 if you're following along. Opening this book, not only do we see God answering prayer and fulfilling promises, we see that as he was with the people that we read about, so it can be with us too that our spirits actually can become lifted the more and more we open this particular book. Our hope can grow just by reading and relying on the word. It's important, though, that we remember that this is not just an answer key to the test, that this is not the key that when you stand at the gate of heaven, you have to pass the Scantron test multiple choice before before you get in. No, This is not an answer key. It's not a self-help improvement book. It's not a religious Google search, just so you can know a few more fun facts about Jesus. It is the Word of God, revealed by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's given to reveal His goodness and greatness to the world and thereby to all of us. To show us His amazing love for us. When you need an increase, a greater yield of encouragement and hope in your life, and I know that there are some of you here today that need that, turn to and rely on the word. If you're not sure where to start, you can talk to me later. I would just throw out the book of Psalms as a good starting point. There's usually something in there for you. Now, these first two motivations about how we live and love actually go together. They help us to be other-focused and God-focused, sort of this both-and approach. Living in the Word of God and seeking to help other people actually helps us become one body, one group, united in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul knows that this is difficult We don't even need Paul to know that this is difficult. We know that being united as one body is difficult. It's almost impossible in so many other parts of our world. There's a reason we did Romans 14 and 15 last week and this week. So Paul does know this, and which is why he offers up a brief prayer. Verse 5. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That it's God himself who can empower you to be one, to live together. It says in complete harmony. Sometimes I don't even know what that would look like, to live in complete harmony, let alone with my family, let alone with this group of people, let alone with the larger world that we're a part of. It's almost something that's very difficult for us to even think about. 
What does complete harmony even look like? I don't know. But I do know this, that God helps us to live that way if we would submit to him more and more. And maybe that's part of the problem. I don't always like to submit to him. And I know many of you don't either. Paul asks God to help us live this way so that we can become one, to join our voices in praise and give glory to God. And that's when he gives those four examples just to make his point from verse 7 about welcoming and accepting one another. Paul could have just said this one time and just been like, Lord, I hope they get it. But he doesn't do that. Because for some reason, he knows that we don't often get it when we hear it just one time. That we need constant and regular reminders. He gives four examples from Scripture that speak to praising God, both Jews and Gentiles. Remember, this is a church that had both groups of people in it that were learning to become one. And so he uses a lot of those Old Testament examples because the Jewish Christians would really get that. But they were verses that also spoke to how God was preparing the way for all people to hear the good news. And that all people would be able to draw together to praise and worship him. And this is something that both groups needed to hear. One group needed to be convinced that the other group was okay in God's eyes. And the other group needed to know, okay, yeah, I actually am supposed to be here. Like God has a role for me as well. That's why Paul pushes us to learn this point so much. For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. The heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. They probably had a really good growth group later that week. (laughs) Because Christ has accepted us, we do so likewise. And as we do, God is the one who receives glory. When we come together as one, is there a more amazing act of miracle power in this world if we were to be one? An amazing sign of the power of God to draw people to himself and then unite them together under one Lord, one Christ. There's almost nowhere else in the world where you'll see such a diversity of people gathered together for a common purpose. You might have a lot of other things that you're a part of, maybe clubs that you're you're, you're into, sports or arts or whatever the case might be. Most of those people are there because of that one thing. Or they all are sort of aligned in a certain way. But I would hazard a guess that just here today, we have a full spectrum of people who don't all agree on everything. And you know what? That's okay. Because today you're here united under the one banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul concludes with another prayer of encouragement to the people. Let me read verse 13 one more time. And it's all about trust in the Lord. I pray that God, the source of hope, 
will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we place our trust in Jesus Christ, you know you actually bind yourself to the source of hope. It's like plugging yourself into the outlet that will give you a constant source of hope. That might shock you. No pun pun intended. I know. I did that for your sake. God not only receives glory in this, but fills us with his joy and peace. Do you want to be filled with joy and peace? I know that I certainly need more joy and peace in my life. But do you want to be so filled with joy and peace to the point that the word says you overflow or you abound with hope? Not just weak, meager hope, but confident hope. Can you imagine that? Just like what we were singing a few minutes ago. What an amazing picture of the grace and love of God poured out not just on you, but on you and you and you and you, poured out for all who would come to him. Friends, God provides all that we need to be sustained and renewed in this world. We look outside of ourselves to help others. We rely on the word of God and we trust in the Lord. And in so doing, he fills us up And fills us up, not just to the brim, but overflowing, if we would allow it. And in that, we glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to Romans 15, you don't often expect to have such an encouragement of Scripture. And yet, this is that. A great encouragement of what is possible when we come together as one people. No wonder Paul used so many examples to make his point. He wanted the church to experience the amazing love and grace of God that he had already experienced. The grace and love of God that's possible when they would come together as one. He knew what it could be. He was a visionary in that. He had a vision of what could be when others couldn't see. And that is our hope and prayer for you, for us today. May the grace and peace of God fill you now, my sisters and brothers, binding your hearts in love and filling you with the hope to press on. You don't even have to imagine that. You can live that right now. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. And sometimes that truth is uncomfortable. It presses up against us in ways that we're not prepared for. You call us to this high way of living, to do things that are not always comfortable. It's not always easy to be welcoming and accepting of those, especially for, for those that we have great differences with. But here in your presence today, God, we ask that you would make us one, that you would allow the love that you have shown to and for us to shine forth out into the world. 
that when people see us, they might see you in us. God, we know that is not only possible, but it is what you want most for us in this life. God, we thank you for the way that you continue to walk with us, that you stick with us. May we stick with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.